0: We're continuing this sermon series about the stuff going on in our world today that we've called, You're Going to Make It. And if you've not tracked with us up to this point, here's what I can tell you. We're using kind of what's going on in the world as just the beginning point for our conversation. But we've been very, very non-political and we haven't talked much about COVID and the economy and whatever. We're we're just looking in the face of the stuff we're doing uh, and that we're facing. And we're running straight to that name that we just sang about, the name of Jesus and this morning, we intend to do the very same thing. This morning's launch pad into our conversation is the events that have unfolded in the last few weeks um, with the appointment of uh, Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. And we are not going to discuss the method of her nomination and appointment or the speed in which it happened or any of that controversial stuff because uh, I don't think this is the setting for that. We are going to discuss, though, what our little part of planet Earth thought about her faith. Because the fact is, she considers herself a Bible-believing uh, Christian. And so her faith was being as scrutinized, and I would even submit to you maybe more scrutinized than even her judicial renderings. Her faith was, was being scrutinized. And and here's what happened for me several weeks ago. I had a trilogy of events that I experienced through some headlines that I want to walk with you as, as kind of a starting point for what we're going to discuss this morning. And the first one is, I, I'll be honest with you, I knew nothing about uh, Justice Barrett whenever she was first being discussed as a potential nominee. And so when I saw headlines that she had this, like, wackadoo crazy belief system... I was really interested to find out. I never saw a headline that said wackadoo, by the way. Um, It's my interpretation. Um, I put it on my level. So I saw an article that drew me uh, towards her attention uh, that was uh, published by the Associated Press. And it talked about the insanity that her views taught that the husband is the head of the home. And, And here's the thing. The, the article wasn't just discussing what she believed. The article had a tone. You know what I mean? Like it was just words on a screen. OK, so for everybody with teenagers in your home, you ever have a moment where it's not like what they said. Is the tone. Right. And they're like, what did I say? And I'm like, it's not what you said. It's how you said it. You with me? You feel me? So with these articles, it's not so much what they said. It's that it's that they have this vision of like the husband being the head of the home, being this like caveman, drag her by the hair back to the kitchen to do what women should be doing in the dishes and stuff like what? No, no, no. Listen, we you're fired. We don't know who he is. He's a first time guest. If you're new today, (laughs) I still love you, David. No, listen, we, we believe that the husband being the head of the home just means God has placed on a husband or father a responsibility to take the spiritual lead in his home. As he submits to his wife and she submits to him and as they love and honor each other in equality and in mutual respect, that he takes a spiritual lead in his home. Like that—that's what we mean about head of the home. Not you're the the judicial jerk that rules the house and like no 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 no. And so I'm reading this article, and literally the tone of this article is, "Can you believe there are still people who believe this?" And I found myself looking at my phone, going, "I I believe that. Apparently I'm a caveman." Okay. A couple of days later. This one wasn't on the national scale. This is here in the state of Texas. Uh, Texas Tech University made news for their women's softball program. And they talked about three different areas of things that they were concerned about in the program, three areas of, of controversy in the program. And I start reading this article, and, and there was some ugly accusations of racial discrimination. I mean, ugly racism, right? And then there was some accusations of this like body shaming culture where certain girls had weight gain restrictions put on their contracts in order to receive scholarship funds. Ugly. But the article almost like glanced over blatant racism and ugly body shaming and they went straight to and there were baptisms among some of the team. Like they went straight to. Baptisms. How crazy is baptism? It wasn't so much what they said. <laughs> it's how they said it. And so what they explained in the article is that one of the coaches is a born-again follower of Jesus and shared their faith with some of the people that they had built a relationship. And two of the young ladies on the softball team and one of the assistant coaches gave their life to Jesus Christ and were born again and went public with their faith by being baptized. And they quoted One of these college young ladies saying, giving my life to Jesus is the greatest decision I've ever made and it's changed my life and I have more joy and peace than I've ever had. And the article says this was her like testimony before she got baptized. Like who thinks this is normal? And I'm beginning now, within a couple days, to feel like I think I'm an alien from a foreign planet, and everybody thinks we're crazy. And the third one's a little more sensitive and and, and a little more delicate, but it comes straight to home, right here in the Metroplex. And that is Covenant Christian Academy, just up the road in Colleyville, had a student that did not say, "Hey, I think I have some same sex attraction or hey I think I, I I might be attracted to the same sex. The student wanted to actively promote um a, a blatant homosexual lifestyle, which is not in keeping with that Christian school's moral code of conduct, and so he's no longer a student there and, and this article literally is like this this crazy out of touch m- m- uh, 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 backwoods. Conservative Christian school still believes in a Judeo-Christian biblical worldview of sexual ethics. Who knew that anybody believed this kind of stuff? And here I am, right? That's my trilogy of apparently I'm a dinosaur and didn't know it. And what that began to reveal in my heart is I feel like we need to have a conversation as a church family this morning. About what our little corner of the world thinks about what we believe and what our response is supposed to be to that. So we're really not actually discussing the the Supreme Court appointment this morning. We're discussing what this moment has revealed to us about the moment in which we live as followers of Jesus. So please grab your Bible. If you're a guest with us this morning, uh, we invite you to join with us in a tradition that we have here at Temple. Before we open this book, we hold it up in the air and say a creed about what we think this book really is. And a, a prayer in that before we open its pages. So let's hold it up in the air and let's declare this with faith this morning. Come on, here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind. And give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. You can turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you or you don't have it on your phone, it will be here on the screens so we can follow together. And let me say this before we read our text this morning. I really struggled with what text we should begin with this morning. Like it took me weeks to land on a text. And in case you don't know how preaching works, that's usually where the conversation begins, right? But it wasn't that I had something I wanted to say and I needed to find a passage that could say it. It was that there were so many passages that said what I feel like needed to be said today, I couldn't pick one. And so we're going to look at 10 passages. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. As I looked at all of these passages that were perfect conversation pieces for what I believe the heart of God wants to reveal this morning, most of them were in the life of the early church. They were either in the book of Acts or early in the epistles in the New Testament. And instead, I felt the Holy Spirit bring me before all of that to the red letters, to the words of Jesus. In John chapter 15, we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of the final conversation, or some would perceive it, with Jesus and his disciples. He knows that before the sun comes up, he will be betrayed. before the sun comes up. He will have had a mock trial. And before the sun goes back down, he will have given up his life for the sins of the world. For those of us who've lost loved ones close to us, you ask yourself sometimes, man, did I ever tell them this enough? Or what did I say in our last conversation? But Jesus had the great privilege of knowing that's what this conversation was. And, and it's amazing. You can walk through these few chapters in the Gospel of John if you never have before. But we find ourselves in the middle of John chapter 15 this morning. And we're going to read more verses than we kind of normally do. We're going to read verses uh, starting at verse number 9. Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That's pretty awesome. That's a lot of love. And then he says this, sit in it, soak in it, marinate in it, abide in my love. Like, just stay planted and rooted in my love. That's a pretty awesome word for all of us this morning. In the midst of every other place that our hearts are being drawn towards this morning, Jesus appeals to each of us and says, if you want to rest your heart somewhere, why don't you rest your heart in my love for you? Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Okay, so Jesus is saying, I want you to marinate in my love. And the way that you do that is by keeping my commandments. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, You'll abide in my love just as I've kept my father's commandments and, and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So notice the connection here. Jesus is saying, I've loved you with the heavenly father's love and I want you to sit in that. And the way that you do that, the way that that gets into your pores and into your bones is by keeping my commandments. And if you do that, your joy will be full. Okay, we're listening. So what's your commandment? Verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. He's saying, I want you to enjoy my love and then employ my love. Like I want you to absorb it and then I want you to live it out to one another. Greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends, this sacrificial, when it's difficult to, to love people. And I love that Jesus is talking about laying his life down because he's literally moments away from taking a step towards laying down his life. Verse 14, you're my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, servant to know what his master is doing. I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father. I've made known to you. And I love verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Thank you, Jesus, for choosing us. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, this fruit of loving people, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. And then he repeats himself these things. I command you that you will love one another. And then abruptly, Jesus switches the conversation from love to hate. (laughs) So I want you to abide in my love. And I want you to display my love. That's how you keep my commandments. And verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But you're not of the world. I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Now, good news is, if they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. And then here's our heart and our focus this morning. All these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know. They don't know. They don't know. They do not know. Him who sent me. These last several weeks, we're grasping for some truth in this confusing moment. This confusing time. This morning we'll look at four truths. And the first one is this. The truth is our faith is misunderstood. Our faith is misunderstood. And guess what? And that's okay. We're going to be okay. Our faith is misunderstood. Jesus said they don't know him who sent me. You're surrounded by people who haven't experienced Life change through the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God, the father. They don't know. They just don't know. We're surrounded by that. And, and let me say this about the world, not understanding what we believe or the, the culture, not understanding what we believe. There's a piece of that that's on us, right? Because there are some people who have very low, loudly and boldly proclaimed a faith that doesn't really align with us, Right. Like there's some people who've kind of given a bad name to this idea of following Jesus. And we're like, no, 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 we don't align with that. Honestly, that, that's the problem with some of our denominational barriers is you've got denominations that, that have ugly histories steeped in racism. And then you've got the Baptist denomination and people are like, oh, so you're part of Westboro Baptist? No, that's disgusting and gross and evil and disgraceful in the name of Jesus. We don't align with them in any way, shape or form. And and, and so some of this is we're just misunderstood because there's there are people who go do ugly, awful, hateful things. This week, Uh, a great, godly, humble, grace-filled, Bible-saturated theologian wrote an article about the election where he came to a different conclusion than many other evangelicals have come to. But he shared his thoughts humbly and graciously. And a bunch of evangelicals took to social media to say that this guy was evil, reprobate, had abandoned the gospel, had had. I literally saw a Christian respond this morning, just a few on the Lord's Day. A believer wrote he should have been aborted before he was born. No wonder people don't know what we believe. This is how we talk to each other. What what we've seen, you know, it's interesting, I, I think like. I think a huge percentage of evangelical pastors around New Year's going into the year 2020 preached a sermon about God. Give us a 2020 vision. Right. It's just too easy not to preach it. I didn't because it was just too easy. (laughs) Like, that's just cheesy, easy. But like, I think a whole bunch of preachers were like, God, give us a 2020 vision. And here's the deal. I think he has. He's let us see ourselves really clearly. And it is ugly. The people who claim to be followers of the God of all grace surely are not displaying a whole lot of grace right now. And so one of the reasons I think we're misunderstood is because we misrepresent ourselves. Piece of this is on us. But then I think there's a huge piece of this that we're misunderstood because it's always been that way. The church has never been the majority opinion in the world. The followers of Jesus have never been like the, oh, we totally understand what you stand for and we're with you. This has always been a, a row against the, 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 the stream, a row against the, the momentum. Jesus' whole Sermon on the Mount, when he like introduced his whole worldview, was like, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he's flipping the whole idea on its head of everything people believe about religion. This has never been the popular view. And that's okay. So if you're brand new to church or you're brand new to Christianity, you're brand new to the Bible, uh, maybe, maybe this isn't something you can track with me on. But if you've been around the faith for any amount of time, I want you to think about what's your favorite Bible story? Specifically, who's your favorite Bible character? I want you to think about it. Who's your your favorite Bible hero of the faith? Like, what's your favorite story? Whoever you're thinking right now. They had a life full of opposition Obstacles, suffering and difficulty because God in his mercy and grace took his heroes and recorded their stories with all of their bumps, bruises and oppositions. Every one of them. Every one of our favorite Bible characters walked through mess and were completely misunderstood, misjudged, misaligned, talked bad about. And here's the thing. Not one of them got offended by that. None of these people following after God were like, I can't believe they don't endorse my worldview. They were just faithful. (laughs) Do you feel me? I feel like the church today has this like wounded self-esteem that people don't totally dig our worldview. Y'all, it's okay. (laughs) It's okay. We do not need Hollywood to agree with the Bible for us to be strong in the faith. We don't need politicians who don't even claim to be religious to agree with our religion, right? Like, I don't get it. We're so fragile. It's like we've lost any boldness in standing firm in the faith. We're not understood. It's okay. You're going to make it. And I believe that the trend in the trajectory is we're so far from the Andy Griffith days, like the world's in color now. Like, I don't see us in a trajectory towards a Judeo-Christian worldview. Like, I feel like the momentum's pretty strong in the other direction. We better be raised in the next generation of bold, humble believers and followers of Jesus. Like, we're not raising the generation that sees the town shut down on Sundays because everybody's in church. No, they're not. Like, if you haven't noticed, <laughs> we are not the moral majority. We're misunderstood. And that's okay. But I feel like I, I need to say this for you one. There's a monumental difference between, between being misunderstood and being persecuted. Listen, church, we're not under persecution. Like, we're maybe a little inconvenienced. Maybe they make fun of us on Saturday Night Live. It's okay. All the rest of the sketches are funny. Like, get over it. Like, you're fine. When I read the scriptures about what the followers of Jesus really faced, and by the way, what millions of followers of Jesus are facing all over the world today, what it looks to me like is we're not even willing to be inconvenienced for our faith. Truly, there's a monumental difference between they didn't agree with me and they're persecuting me. Are we tracking together? You understand? Well, there's, a, there's a monumental difference between those two things. When I read Hebrews chapter 11, the end of Hebrews chapter 11 is like, and there were many others who stood strong in their faith who were beaten and maligned and imprisoned and in shackles And beaten and sawn in two. What? And you know what it says in Hebrews 11? And the world was not worthy of them. That's the strength of true faith that's rooted in the authority that comes in the name of Jesus. There's a monumental difference. The faith is, uh, the, the reality is rather, we're misunderstood. And that's okay. And here's why that's okay. Because point number two is, it's all about Jesus. The truth is, it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. Jesus said, you're going to suffer all of this on account of my name. The name that we just sang about, the name that we just clapped about, the name some of you shed a tear about. That name is what this is it's all about. It's not about our comfort zone. It's not about things going our way. It's not about our endorsement. It's not about our life of ease. It's all about the power, authority, glory and the name of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Because it's not about me, then if things don't go my way, I can I can still be OK. The truth is, it's all about him. So we are like one of the many Americans during the pandemic who got a puppy. Because we are stupid. (laughs) So this is my first time in 43 years of life that I've ever had a puppy. I didn't know. I didn't know. Marisa kept asking me, are you sure you're good with this? I'm like, why does she keep asking me that? I know now. And no. (laughs) No. I'm not good with this. So this puppy, right, is a blast and we love her. She's great. Um, Every single thing that we do in the house, if she's awake, she thinks is about her. Like she actually thinks the only reason we get up every day is to be like, you're our hero. How can we serve thee? Like, if we get up, she's like, where are we going? If we speak to somebody, huh? She doesn't know her name yet. So it's like, we're not talking to you. And whatever we pick up, she's like, what you got for me? Nothing. Go oh So this is a true story that I wish was just a sermon illustration I was embellishing. <laughs> but literally a couple mornings ago, I went and picked up a pair of socks and walked over to the bathroom and set them down because I needed to put on shoes and socks to leave the house. That's what humans do. And literally, she like loses her mind. Socks! And I found myself saying out loud in my bedroom, not everything is about you. I said this to an animal. But the fact is, I think some of us we read some of this stuff online or we listen to it on our news source of choice. And we're like, I can't believe they would talk that way about us. It's not about us. This, our glory is not what's at stake here. Our name and our renown is not the point. It's all about him. And, and the little brother of Jesus, Jude. Encourage the followers of Jesus in a season of great, violent persecution to contend for the faith. Not to contend that everybody would get along with you and agree with you. Contend for the faith. What's the faith? I don't know, but I know it's not religious ceremony. It's not denominational titles. It's not people agreeing with us. The faith. The the word faith in the New Testament means to be persuaded in our souls. Faith does not mean I sat in a room and heard some stories that I said, I think that's true. That's a really watered down spectator definition of faith. And the problem is, I think what's infected the body of Christ in the U.S. today is we have this this dry and empty and hollow spectator faith that goes, I think that's true. That's not being persuaded. I'm not going to be willing to suffer for principles. I'm not going to suffer for opinions or concepts. I don't even know that I would suffer for a a set of beliefs, but for Jesus. Yeah, I'm all in (laughs) whatever it costs, whatever it takes. I so believe in him, the actual person who 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 existed in an actual moment in time, in an actual place and performed actual events that actually changed lives like he's for real and I will suffer for him. When we stand for principles, we actually end up feeling good about ourselves. I argued my point. Yay me. But when our faith is in the person of Christ, we feel better about him. <laughs> like, man, he's worth it. He's good. He's glorious. He's unlike anything this world has to offer. He's better. It's all about him. It's not about us. The reason that it's okay That the world misunderstands us because it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. And and if we contend for the wrong things, I'm afraid we're going to lose our way. And I've spoken openly about the the kind of faith I was raised up in where everything was worth fighting for. And I I just believe that version of faith is not going to endure in this day and time. I, I remember as a child, preachers screaming hellfire and brimstone screaming about parents letting their kids watch the smurfs because they're going to convert to satanism come on some of you know what i'm talking about you know what i'm talking about it's serious it's like they literally thought you're going to find this like halloween looking satan worshiper sacrificing chickens or whatever and he's like them little blue people got to me man That's what we were going to fight about cartoons. There's a whole list of them. We weren't allowed to watch. My mom's watching right now. You know, I'm telling the truth. (laughs) Can't watch. he man, there's only one master of the universe. I'm looking at you, mom. That's true. We couldn't watch Avengers and say, don't you know Thor claims to be a god? (laughs) And I'm lying, I'm dying. Man, if we contend for the wrong stuff, I just believe that, that the thing worth contending for is the person of Jesus Christ. And the actual events that have transformed not just the lives of some people we've never met, we've only read about, but he's changed my life. And the reason I'm parking here for so long is we're We're flipping the calendar today, moving towards this season that is chock full of stories of fantasy and fairy tales. And here's the deal. Jesus is not the great pumpkin. He's not like the elf. He's not the magical story like he really became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the glory of the father. He for real walked planet Earth. He for real laid down his life. He for real rose again from the dead and he for real. Is still changing lives right here, right now, even in 2020. It's about Jesus. It's not fairy tale and it's not make believe. And so we're misunderstood. That's okay because it's not about us, it's about Jesus. And because it's about Jesus, then the truth is we're still called to love people. <laughs> because it's all about Jesus then we're still called to obey those same commandments he proclaimed to his disciples on that evening in John 15. That That the way we honor him and the way we follow him is to love well, radically, sacrificially. To love people. And here's the deal. If we're misunderstood, do you know what the solution to that is? is to tell our story for ourself, one person at a time, to tell them how loved they are and how much Jesus wants to rescue them and transform them and change their life. If they don't understand what we believe, then we need to show them and tell them. And I don't believe there's ever been a moment that the people to our left and to our right need to know how loved they are than today. Everybody's talking about how, man, the economy is struggling and, and things are down and restaurants are closing and, man, it's, it's such a bad time. But there's at least two industries here in the state of Texas that are thriving today. As a matter of fact, they have had historic sales in the last eight months. Those two things. Alcohol sales. We don't know how far up those sales are in the state of Texas because we don't have those numbers here. But nationally, it's it, it's flirting with 20 percent up from any year in history. And the other thing where sales are up historically in the state of Texas is lottery tickets. Texas state lottery tickets have had record breaking sales in the last eight months. And you know what those two combined realities point to me is we are suffering under the weight of escapism and numbing our pain. Do you know what our neighbors need? They need something to hope in. They need to know how loved they are and how much hope and healing and power there is in the name of our Jesus. Right now is not about winning arguments or winning elections. It's about winning hearts. all that the people of God would be marked today not by contending for the wrong things but by fighting to love well (laughs) to serve people if we claim to honor that name then we have to love the people who bear his image that we would love well we're going to stand out for something Because people don't have any clue what we believe. What if we were known as compassionate, kind, slow to anger, quick to forgive, ready to grab the other end of the table? How can we help you? How can we serve you? What need do you have? How can I find somebody who can help you meet it? I'm here because I love you. What if that's what we were known for? We're going to stand out for something. Let's stand out for that. The, uh, the reality is, I believe, that's where fullness of joy is found. Jesus said, I'm telling you this because I want my joy to be in you and for your joy to be full. True joy is not found in being loved. It's in loving. And, and, and every person I'm talking to right now is struggling with this season. I'm not telling you start loving people when you feel better. I'm telling you, let's take a step of faith. That we're gonna love people even in the midst of our own difficulty, our own struggle, our own journey. That we're just gonna love people well. What if we were just known by that? The truth is we're misunderstood and that is okay because the truth is it's all about Jesus. And the truth is because it's about Jesus, man, we're still called, compelled, commissioned, chosen to love people. Here's the last observation. Brush to do that well, the truth is we need each other. We need each other. Jesus is telling them to love one another. Jesus knows that before the sun comes up, they're really gonna need each other. And, and I'm gonna keep saying this. I, I know that this is a weird season. The the DNA and the heart of our faith community here is with that we believe circles are better than rows, and we're not even in normal rows now, we're in every other row. Like how messed up is that? Circles are way better than every other row. Right. And, and we're not doing home groups right now because 2020. Right. And so I'm going to keep saying this until we're able to get back to whatever normal means. We still need each other. And just because we're not doing it formally doesn't mean you can't reach out for help organically. We need one another. We need one another. And the reason we're not doing formal home groups, for those of you who have school age kids, if you've been quarantined already, you know why we're not doing home groups. And if you haven't been. Come talk to me. I'll tell you why. It's no fun. Right. And for those of you that are like, hey, I'm old enough that my kids are grown and gone." well, we're not having home groups for you because you're at risk. Like, it, it's kind of a. Ah. But you're still able to get together and sit in the backyard and you're still able to meet at a restaurant and, and, and get together. We need each other. Even if that's just a phone call.
1: We need each other. That hasn't
0: changed just because it's gotten hard. We need each other. Because as misunderstood as we are, one of the things that's become real clear to me as I begin to get this glimpse, beginning with reading that article about Justice Barrett, is this. We need to be spending time with people who understand us. Who have the same baseline of faith as us. Who get where we're coming at. Who share our worldview to where we can encourage one another. We need each other more today than maybe we ever have before. We need each other. We need each other. So here's the bonus truth where we will end our time this morning. The truth is, on the authority of the name of Jesus, you're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. Whether everybody gets what we believe, whether they understand us, whether they endorse us, whether they support us or not, you're gonna make it because the cause of Jesus will endure until he comes again. He promised. His glory's at stake if you don't make it. You're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. You're walking. Under the banner of the name above every name. You're walking under the banner of the name that one day, maybe soon, every knee that's ever existed will bow before it. Every tongue that's ever existed will proclaim that name to the glory of God the Father. You're going to make it. That's where the power lies. Close with this thought. The uh I love the the Incredibles movies. One and two. If you don't have kids at home, there's no shame here. You still need to watch it. I love the Incredibles movies. They're golden, man. Good stuff. And way better than anything you can watch now in twenty twenty. Like turn off your social media platform and go home and watch the Incredibles. That's your spiritual homework for the day. You need something enjoying before the game tonight. Um Hey, we're grieving. It's 2020, man. We're all concussed. Um, (laughs) There's a scene in, in one of those movies where this family of superheroes with their superpowers, right? The mom is still a mom. She's wired to be a mom. And so Elastigirl says to Mr. Incredible, they're just children, Bob. I'm worried about them. They're just children. And he says this. He says, yeah, but they're children with powers. And, man, I know we're all facing some stuff right now. It's like, I don't know that I can face this. And I just believe that our Heavenly Father looks at you and he's like, yeah, but they're my children with power. The power of the name of my son rests on them. (laughs) Whatever you're facing today. You might feel as hopeless as a little child, but there's power available in the name of Jesus. You're going to make it. Because his name will prevail.